Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show, where I interview experts from different fields to connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. Today's guests are system innovators. Together, they built the company Innovation Ecosystem with the goal to help innovators and leaders deliver impact, new ideas that work in the real world and produce real value. Please welcome to the show, Janishfar Wild and Dan McClure. Hello, Dan and Jennifer. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing really well, thanks. It's great to have Hi. you. I'm so looking forward to learn and explore together with you the innovation ecosystems and specifically systems innovation. But before we dive into, into these topics, um, tell us a little bit about who you are and how did you get to where you are. Uh, let's start with Jennifer. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be on the show. Um, I really come out of humanitarian emergencies, so big uh, earthquakes in Haiti or typhoons in the Philippines or, you know, conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, etc. cetera. Um, and I spent more than a decade um, working in many of these countries just on incredibly complex problems, how to provide people with um, food in incredibly remote areas, how to provide water in deserts to populations that are moving and just, yeah, lots of difficult problems um, and kind of fell into innovation first from how do we do better and then how do we just, how do we solve or, or alleviate some of the kind of big challenges that exist? Um started various innovation labs in different countries, uh, started a kind of global uh, set of innovation labs that dealt with humanitarian problems and met Dan along the way in Berkeley <laughs> at an innovation roundtable in the US, which was fantastic. Um, and so really what I've been doing is thinking about how to solve big changing challenges um, in the world that has led to a lot of um, work now around disruption of industries, around um, challenges that kind of uh, governments, private sector, NGOs are dealing with from, you know, education reform, climate change to how do I make my company really agile and not just tech agile. Um, which is just which has been just an interesting journey across the kind of the narrative of the world is changing 
technology is bringing us so much opportunity. And so how do we all meet the challenges um, that our world and business face today? Great. Dan, who are you? <laughs> yeah, so I think I was this job, this position, this role, this avocation long before I had any name for it. So, you know, starting in second grade, I was trying to figure out how to put together all the pieces of a big program in my classroom. And um, I was never a terribly good student in the sense of, you know, mastering all the subjects that they wanted me to. But if there was a big imaginative thing that was poorly shaped and everything, I was all over that. And when I went to college and I was looking for a degree in putting together big, messy things, as it turns out, there wasn't really a degree. I did manage to find a university that allowed me to take classes in business, computer science, engineering, and philosophy. And so I thought, I did really well. I've, I've managed to create this sort of monstrosity degree that would allow me to you know, move into this putting messy things together stuff. And then I went and started interviewing for jobs and absolutely nobody wanted to hire a business engineering computer science philosophy major. And um, things were pretty grim for me because I did get a job as an engineer. It turns out I was not a very good engineer and all would have gone poorly, I think, for me, except in the background, I was working on a computer program that would allow us to do the kind of engineering and planning we were doing much better, much faster, much bigger. And fortunately for me, the federal government decided to regulate the energy industry that I was part of. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they needed my computer program to invest $2 billion and move to the front of the industry, et cetera, et cetera. And I ended up with a team of innovators. And this was at a point where organizations didn't really have innovation teams. So 20 years before everybody else was doing being the leader of an innovation team, I actually had my own little innovation team and we were reinventing an industry. And the rest of my life has basically just been hopscotching from one weird, ugly, messy problem to another weird, ugly, messy problem. So everything from working in education, government, industry, humanitarian sector, and actually around 2014 or so, it turned out that the humanitarian sector really was the messiest place to go do innovation. <laughs> and so I ended up doing a lot of work through in that area. And that's where I met Jen. And we have since been doing messy problems together, actually. That's, that's a great definition, messy problems, solving messy problems. That's, that's what we do. Yeah. So I, I would like to double click on a couple of things because I'm always interested a little bit in the, in the backstory. So, so you met in Berkeley. How did it come about that you built a business together? <laughs> well, Go ahead, John. <laughs> we, um, we actually worked together in different capacities uh, for a number of years. Uh, and and really built a personal relationship um, in kind of building organisations, growing them and otherwise. Uh, and then 
you know, over that time, we talked more about the different backgrounds of what we'd done. And really what Dan had been doing for the last few decades was working on um, how do you deal with some of these challenges of innovation in business from a systems perspective. So not throwing kind of spaghetti at a wall and, and experimentation, but how do you dig down into some of these challenges and look at the system behind it to be able to find greater areas of leverage for new products or be able to shift a kind of ecosystem of actors to create um, to create new lines of businesses or, or new companies or, um, you know, be able to uh, create different ways of working, different types of cultures, innovation engines within organisations that could move them to be really head of their industries. And Dan's very humble, but he's been working with, you know, Fortune 10, Fortune 500 companies for for, for decades. So um, when we talked, I said, well, that's interesting because that's actually exactly what I'm doing, <laughs> but but less around profit and more around outcomes. And, of course, you know, working in business, that shift from kind of efficiency metrics um, and projects to driving value towards the customer and outcomes is a um, is a really important shift to make um, and and so we kind of started talking and um, and saying actually we've been doing very similar things in vastly different industries um, and we should actually do this together because there is an incredible power to looking at the system, behind um, challenges, behind, you know, why your, why your business is a, is a melting ice cube and losing market share, why that product isn't scaling, why uh, you've got a brilliant invention that you just can't seem to, to move. Whatever that kind of big challenge is, why your shareholders are scratching their heads and saying, where is this company going in the future? Um, and doing it from different perspectives, it, there's just, there's an incredible power to say, wow. Um, and that's what a lot of our our, our clients and customers and, and, and challenges we've been working on um, have been saying to us. So we said, let's team up and let's um, let's do systems innovation and, and bring it to the world. Yeah, I think a key part of this is you know, so often people assume innovation is for a particular type of challenge or a particular type of thing. And what we've really seen is if you step back at innovation, there's almost a history of major types of innovation. So if you went back to 1955, the new type of innovation was really around providing you know, structural processes that allowed you to develop a nuclear submarine and, you know, incredibly big, complicated things. And, you know, we think of Gantt charts and things like that as, you know, sort of old line now, but there was a period of time where that was the new stuff. That was how you were going to invent something new was by really figuring out all the details. That got followed then by Deming and the effort to optimize systems, um, you know, where you basically look at an existing system, you measure it in detail, 
And then you make small incremental changes to see where there are improvements. And that was fabulous for taking an existing system and making it just a little bit better. And that became, you know, the original version of Lean. Then if you look at the turn of the century, around 2000, we had these emergence of all these greenfield technology areas. Like you have the emergence of, you know, um, the web, mobile phones, et cetera, that created a need for innovators who could very quickly explore and test small compact ideas and bring them to market. And, you know, that's where we got, you know, the idea of user-centered design as applied to technology products, Eric Reese's lead startup methodologies, et cetera. And so there was this sort of, you know, third generation that happened of new ideas around, you know, how you do that kind of innovation. For the problems that Jenny and I were working on, it didn't feel like any of those worked. And I think that was the initial resonance was we're both working on problems that are bigger, messier, more complex, and you're not going to be able to Gantt chart them optimize them or mobile phone them into success. You're going to have to do something fundamentally different. And I think, you know, that's kind of the magnet that brought, that brought our work together is whether it's you're dealing with, you know, South Sudan or you're dealing with a U.S. corporation that's trying to reinvent itself. Either one of those are dealing with the same kind of complex systems problem. Huh. So, Last question around the two of you, <laughs> Je Jen Jenny, wh what are the superpowers from Dan? Whoa! <clears throat> well, he wears a great cape and he has these glasses that sometimes he takes off. Um, <laughs> no. um, I think, I mean, Dan has a wealth of experience which uh, can sometimes mask his superpower, interestingly, of of understanding how to bring very um, complex ideas and pieces of a puzzle together in a kind of simple way to show people. So there is not many people in the world that I've seen who are able to just bring so many parts of a kind of trends and industries and people and companies and, and products etc together and say and here's how you can do here's how you can move forward successfully and interestingly if you talk to really anyone who's worked with Dan they will say there are few people in the world that can do that like Dan and these are people who have worked at ThoughtWorks and IDEO and and you know every other um, kind of leading innovation uh, company in the world. Dan, if we, if we turn these questions around, um, what what are the things Jennifer is too humble to talk about herself? Well, she's Australian, so she's not really too humble <laughs> to talk about a lot of things. Um, That's a good one. <laughs> so no, I think I think actually there's a there's a good answer to this, and it sort of explains why we seem to fit well together as, as, a, as a partnership. Um, when we look at system innovation, we see that there's a need for, say, a visionary, the person who sees how all the pieces fit together. 
and there's a need for an action hero. And this is actually a, a model that was originally developed with Don Kirk around 2002 when we were working at auto at an auto company that was trying to reimagine itself for the next century. Um, but this idea of a visionary and an action hero pair really well together, I think explains sort of why Jen and I work together because Jen is a action hero. So um, if you look at the things she's done, um, when we first met, we talked about some an innovation lab idea she had. And we were, you know, hanging out in Berkeley. Uh, we spent, you know, an afternoon in the coffee house. And she said, oh, yeah, I've got, I, I, I kind of like this idea, da-da-da-da-da. Two months later, she calls us up again and says, well, I have three international sponsors. We're moving ahead with launching our first lab in such and such. And so where most people would have had a coffee house conversation and it would have been like that was a really good time in a coffee house. Jen ended up driving out the response innovation labs, which are now, you know, found in countries across the world. So I think, you know, that in a system innovation context is an amazing superpower, that ability to be the action hero. Great. Let's get into systems innovation. For someone who has never heard about the things they may have heard about systems thinking, but can, can, can we start the highest level of what it is and how you define it? Um, who wants to start? Who wants to go into that? Well, let, me make a, let me make a shot at that. Um, system innovation is at its heart the ability to shape a system to achieve goals that you want. So we're used to the idea of innovation for products, for example, being we have a user and a product and we're going to design that product to meet a user's need. System innovation steps back and says, what if there isn't just one need and one, one product to be designed? What if there's a whole collection of different people that need to be supported by a system that interacts and connects them. So think about um, if you're working in a hospital, it might be useful to have a mobile app that does something, but far more useful to have an entire hospital system where all the pieces hook together. And so system innovation is the ability to point at one of those messy challenges and actually design a new innovative approach where all the pieces work together. So you're innovating the system as opposed to innovating the product or the feature, et cetera. And I think- What? Yeah, I was in a, I was just in a, um, kind of give a, a real life example. <clears throat> when you look at, uh, I mean, when you look at some of the greatest inventors of all time, so if you look at, you know, Thomas Edison, um, so innovation theory or practice might say, you know, if you have speed and agility and you're the first to get to market, you will win or that will give you the best chance of winning. Whereas the great kind of inventions of our time often don't look like that. There were 21 people across Europe who patented different kinds of light bulbs at the same time, around the same time. Whereas 
Thomas Edison won or he's famous, he didn't actually invent the light bulb. Um, but what he did is he created that system for generating and distributing electricity. And you find that along the path. So, you know, we look at someone like Elon Musk today and you say, well, he didn't invent the electric car, did he? Um, he, you know, he um, he's essentially doing some really interesting stuff with solar power. But what he is able to do so well is create these systems which will allow the electric car to come to life, which include, you know, sexy sales campaigns, which include um, which include creating different kinds of um, batteries, which include creating uh, solar, um, sorry, uh, electricity uh, pumps across the US, which include, which include, which include. And so he's not saying, I've got a product, it's genius, I'm taking that to market. He's saying, I'm shifting industries, I'm creating the future. And so what do I need to do that? I need to create a system. I need to create a system perhaps, you know, in the world, in the US, I need to create a system for this product to survive and thrive. So while it might sound kind of very um, esoteric in its name, Actually, it's incredibly practical and it's being done by industry leaders at the moment. Yeah. I was about to say, um, so I just from how you explained it, I see the benefit for every organization to do that. Um, most properly, not every organization is doing it. Have, have you ever come across the reason of why companies are not doing it? Well, I think... There's a couple of reasons. Um, first, people forget that all of these innovation methodologies that we know and we assume everybody can go and buy the book for always existed. But in reality, innovation methodologies emerge, mature, they become a thing that people know how to do. So I think the first problem is system innovation is still young. And while there's a lot of writing on systems thinking, sort of the concepts behind how systems work, et cetera. The practical application, that's kind of new. And I think then the other challenge is it's really hard. And it's not the sort of thing that you can create a system innovation lab where 15 designated innovators go work. Instead, you really need to build this into the entire fabric of the organization. Hmm. And so while it's entirely doable, it's not the sort of thing that you can sort of do with your left hand on a Friday afternoon. So it's like this, if, if you talk to the board and say, hey, you, you, the return on invest into whatever we're doing, it's like two weeks. It's, it's not the case. It's, it's, it's a slightly bigger thing. Yeah, and it's, it's more deeply disruptive. So if you think about a board, a board has been set up to manage the type of organization that came out of the 20th century. Yeah. In many ways, a system innovation organization is going to behave different. It's going to have different things that you need to measure. And as a result, everybody's going to have to change, including the board. So it's not simply longer time frame. It's the, all the things you're looking at, all the ways that you used to judge whether or not it would work are going to be different. Yeah. Have, have you explored of... From, from an innovation perspective, if you take a corporation and you start working with them, how hard it is to ex 
it's like get them understand what it is and what how how are you going about to get them understanding about it because they come most properly they come to you with the problem it's like hey can you help me solving that problem rather than can you use systems innovation to help us so how how do you how do you go about getting them into understanding what it is and what is required to get there Jen do you want to jump on that one yeah i think um I, I think the proof is always in the pudding. <laughs> I don't know if that's an American or an English saying, but um, you know, it's it's often it's often not saying, okay, we've got systems innovation and X, Y, and Z, and here's why systems innovation is great. It's saying, okay, you've got this problem. You've been trying to do a digital transformation for um, the past four years, or you've created a innovation lab skunk works outside your organization and you can't get those innovations back in because you haven't shifted your organization or you're losing market share or you know the board is very angry or you know irate about um, a whole bunch of innovations or change processes you've been going through that haven't ended up where you want or you know use use whatever shareholder board customer issue um, you're going through and and so we you know we naturally would sit down and talk to them and say okay so so let's look at this let's look at kind of what you want to do um, and how we start to shift your organization towards that um, and that may be setting up practices internally to the organization innovation engines culture or otherwise that may be um providing and training around these methodologies, around the methodologies of systems innovation. Um, that may be actually working with tech teams around the kind of delivery um, metrics, outcomes and otherwise. So that I think there's various parts of organisations you can work with. And by going through the processes, by saying, okay, so, you know, here are the new kind of methodologies. Let's let's see what the problem is that you have and let's look at that system. Let's see what you actually want to do and what, you know, what that future system state looks like. What are the, who are the actors? What kind of activities do they undertake? How are they connected? What are the kind of pathways to success? Um, and then let's take some thin slices of that system and work towards it. So it's not just... Um, kind of lean, fast, quick um, one piece of learning, but it's learning across different uh, different measures. So, for example, you know, in an education system, it might be around, you know, bringing a new piece of tech. Okay, well, it's not about just how efficient and excellent that tech is, <laughs> but it's also about um, how how is that consumed by the child, by the teacher, by the parents, is this something that um, both lives within a classroom and at home? How does the kind of ongoing maintenance and cost um, and, and update and effectiveness of that tech pin it against other competitors? How does the um, government regulation and uh, curriculum interact with that tech? And, you know, this might look different in each case, but... Um, and so we're going to learn a bit about maybe all of those or the things that we really want to shift. Um, so it's it's not just one big assumption, but it's kind of pieces across everything that needs to work within that 
educational tech for it to be successful in scale. Um, and as we move organisations through these processes at whatever level that might look like, product or leadership or, um, you know, certainly we work with boards and risks and audit committees and, and others about how they change their behaviour, you start hearing uh, the CEOs uh, and, uh, and C-suite executives say, yes, this is this this is why we haven't got there before. You know, we've been trying to do something externally and and not having um, some place to take it to market through the organisation or, um, or we've had a really fantastic innovation fund um, but it's not, it's essentially being taking pot shots in the dark and, and so looking at how things scale and asking the big questions and thinking about how it connects to the real world um, has been happening less or otherwise. So... Yeah, so for us, really, it's it's taking people through that and then saying this makes logical sense and it's working. Yeah. Um, and I think if you, I was just going to say, if you've um, if you're working with a methodology that that is limited for your challenges, I'm sure you feel that in some way or another. I'm sure we've all felt that <laughs> in working on challenges in our yeah. Um, space. Yeah, I think you know, Jen's point that this is about really applying to real problems. You know, so much of like Agile in particular was it ended up being a cookbook that a lot of people would bring to the to a corporation and say, you just do these five courses or you do this, you know, particular um, set of, of rituals and voila, you are Agile. Yeah. And I think the challenge here is you need to have practical challenges to work against, and then you need to change many different things. And that combination of practical application, many different things changing is part of what makes this hard, really. Yeah. How, how do you work with the, the topic mindset with, with your clients? if you work with, with that topic at all. Um, and by mindset, do you mean like the way you think about um, innovation, et yeah. cetera? Yeah. So small rant here. Um, I think way too much is made of people who are unwilling to innovate or people who are, you know, afraid to change or risk averse. Um in, I think, our experience, when somebody appears risk averse, it's either because they have a good reason to be risk averse, like there really is a train coming towards them. And, you know, that fear makes perfect sense that they should have some hesitancy about what you're proposing, or you really haven't explained it well enough. And so I think, while it's important to get people to shift their thinking, it's perhaps more important to position them to be in a, in a spot where they can take the necessary complex changes that are needed for them to be able to move forward. Yeah. So that's, that's also, they, they need to be part of the, the ecosystem that's changing and, and need to understand what is required from them. Yeah. going into, into and that. And you need to build the eco ecosystem in a way that it supports them when they do decide to make that change. Yeah, yeah. 
get that. So how 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 are you supporting the organization? So you're you're kind of asked to support an organization. How how do you start? How do you get started in the engagement? Well, I think as with almost any type of innovation, there's a need to understand things. Um, I think where system innovation tends to differ from others is the breadth of what we want to try to understand. So we don't start off by saying we're going to either understand the processes in this one team or we're going to understand this one user need, but rather we really look to try to spread out and see a bigger picture. Um, and, you know, we're talking as if this is mostly about corporations, but there's many other places where system innovation is really needed that involves, you know, big problems that don't have a single corporation or an organization. Like, um, Jen, like the stuff you were doing in Sassadam? Yeah, um, so I could talk to an example of that. We uh, were working in South Sudan uh, with a, an organisation who said, okay, you know, we deal with malnutrition, we deal with shelter, we deal with gender-based violence and a number of these issues. <clears throat> and so one uh, challenge we worked on was malnutrition of children. Um, and you know, when we surveyed the room with a number of different organisations that deal with malnutrition of children, we said, okay, so what's the challenge we're facing um, and what are the what are the kind of things that we need to be doing? And uh, we said, okay, um, a number of hands shot up and said, well, we need to be able to track children who are malnourished better so then we can get them access so we can support them through um, through the hospital system, health system. Uh, so what we really need is we need a new piece of technology that finds uh, and tracks and accounts for essentially these children. And we probably need some people to kind of, some more people to go out, community nutrition volunteers to go out um, to support this new piece of technology. But we have a lot of those people already. And we said, okay, so, <clears throat> you know, let's draw this, let's draw this challenge, you know, physically and, and okay, there's the hospital system and there's the government and there's the local community nutrition volunteers and the parents and the community attitudes and the health workers and, um, and the different way that health is dealt with, et cetera. So kind of a cultural, uh, uh, structural map of many different actors, NGOs, donors, other governments, uh, philanthropists, um, alongside, um, you know, the mother and the father and the family dynamics and the local uh, head of government and others. And as we kind of explored this map and said, okay, so where, where are the kind of places we could intervene to significantly shift child malnutrition? What are the kind of activities we could change? What, you know, if we, if we, if we added a piece of technology at this level in the community, what would that? What kind of impact would that have across um, across the system? And as we kind of went through this and discussed this, interestingly, that outcome was actually that piece of tech. Of course, it would have helped, um, but to make a significant shift, let's teach mothers how to identify malnutrition. Um, with a very simple and cheap 
methodology. And so actually they can be, because they will be the strongest advocates for their children. And a bunch of research has been done on this now and there are significant um significant value and significant impact in this and it's an it's example of coming up with a much cheaper much um, kind of deeper significant change in that problem and in society um, and actually an easier one to make in many ways <coughs> because trying to support technology and the outback of South Sudan is actually quite difficult. Um, and, and, uh, and it's these kind of things you can shift and uncover with a group of people across organisations, creating an ecosystem, bringing in kind of knowledge and understanding and, and, and innovation uh, ideas from many different countries um, that, that can create those kind of significant shifts. Yeah. I think the thing that's important to understand here is that when you're talking system innovation, there's really two levels of it when you're working, when you're talking about an organization. There's the fact that you're trying to innovate systems like Jen just talked about. So you start by looking at those bigger problems. But in some ways, when you want to adopt systems innovation, the organization itself is a system. And so if we can draw, draw sort of a metaphor, that looking out broadly across the entire range of what's going on and seeing that broad system is really where you start, whether you're starting trying to re-engineer the organization or you're trying to deal with a hard, messy problem like malnutrition in a, in a country, or you're trying to you know, tackle some other new opportunity in your marketplace. You know, that all starts in the same spot of, Let's step back. Let's not assume that we know what the single problem or issue is and really understand how that whole system works so that we can we can begin to shift that. Yeah. If if I understand you right, that's just a completely different approach than the big consultancy companies are doing. I, I've been working in one of them um, for, for a short amount of time. What, what I've seen is that they're taking... The processes and and the things that have worked in twenty other companies and try to put it into uh, the next company. So, if I understand you right, what you do is you you try to understand and feel and dig deeper into the totality of the environment of what's going on, without coming in with the solution. So you're not coming in and saying, "Hey, we sell a solution to you. We we need to figure it out." Is that right? Yeah, and I think. It's not just us. This is a shift in the role of the innovator. Yeah. Right? yeah. Is the innovator needs to see their playground, their opportunity for change as the entire system. And as a result, they need to be thinking and understanding what that entire system is. Yeah. Love so that. Often, often we'll find, um, you know, product donors or um, or innovation teams who end up either stuck down at the bottom of the organisation um, in the details or kind of sidelined in the organisation as kind of, here, you can go over there, you come up with something. Um, but but it's difficult to kind of bridge that and bring them inside the organisation, perhaps alongside technology or, or others, alongside the business, to look at, 
okay, so what does this business do? What is the broad industry or, or, or sector it works in? How, how, what's our specific purpose and, and, and how do we kind of start shifting that? And so what I just described uh, in South Sudan is very much the role of kind of the innovator for the future, the very much the place that they start um, rather the, than the consultancy. And I think sometimes you've got two sides, you know, on one side you've got the kind of stereotype of the wild innovator just going out and, you know, into the world and doing whatever they are, they want to do and the kind of visionary and saying, oh, we're going to drive in this direction away from a business strategy, et cetera. And the other side you've got these kind of very, um, very detailed, okay, we're working on this product, we're bringing this product to market, we're scaling this product. Um, and I think there's there's something that's needed in the middle of that, which is to 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 actually have a space where you can do both, where you can say we need to look at the space, we need to look at the company, the purpose, and the whole entire sector, and then we need to bridge this kind of very broad range of things that come together with the specific product, and those things can't be divorced, hmm. you know. Um, and and that's and that's what having a methodology with using systems allows you to do. It allows you to hold those two things together. And um, you know, Dan and I talk from moving from the balcony where you're saying, okay, what's going on, and how do we shift this back to the dance floor where you say, okay, now we're building something. Now we're building the innovation or the product or otherwise. But you need to be able to live in both of those worlds simultaneously. That most probably will at least in the future as well, require completely different skill sets and different ways of understanding of how you can apply the tools in this way of thinking in a different ways. Um, how do you go about um, helping companies and or uh, organizations in, in, in learning that skills? Yeah. So once again, I don't think this is just an organizational skills thing. It's an organizational design. So you've got to build the organization in a way that supports those efforts. And the organization needs to find and hire the people who have this kind of system skills. And it's interesting because 20th century organizations in many ways are designed to reject that kind of person. So if you have somebody whose nature is to work across many different areas and to break silos and to challenge the status quo and to remake systems that have been tried and true in the organization, in all likelihood, they're going to eventually get tripped up and get kicked out. Hmm. And so part of this is building the structures where people can be supported in that work and then actually finding those folks that see the big picture, want to break silos, want to build um, complex systems. We call those folks choreographers. And they're, they're generally few and far between in organizations. Although I think many folks would find it very en energizing to go into an organization that would support that. Yeah. I love, I love that, that, that term choreographer. Yeah. Like you can, you can, you, you can build an entire educational system to help people to get into that new job description. Yeah. yeah. Well, and 
you know, it, at the risk of making it turtles all the way down, you could build an educational system to help people become the new choreographer so that they could go out and build new educational systems. Yeah. So that's a good one. So I would, I would like to shift us into the, the last part of the podcast, which is a couple of questions outside uh, of the context, but of course you can link them. So I'm, um, And, and we we start maybe with Jennifer, um, or you can do that together as you wish. Um, if you could work with the project and be part of a project or lead a project that is impacting every human being on earth, what project would you choose and why would you choose that project? So now you've just set me up for something really awkward because I'm working on that project right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's Okay. Having having worked in um, the humanitarian sector, which is very close to my heart, um, something that I or what I care about most deeply is helping really the most vulnerable people on earth. How to make that real is, or for me, how to make that real is by coming up with um, and and building methodologies that can make significant change to people's lives um, and so really that's at the core of of why I Dan and I have started uh, innovation ecosystem because I think and it's not just vulnerable people in South Sudan but the fourth industrial revolution where you've got AI and IOT and robotics and the cloud working together to create really a whole new world for us um, there are incredible outcomes um, that could be made for the future. And we know there are also significant risks. Um, but I think if we can get that right, if we can use the right kind of methodologies to be able to create um, and build further the incredibly complex world that we have, which is only going to get more complex with, with, the, with the new, you know, powerful technologies, Then, um, then I think you know I can make a significant impact to people's lives around the world. So that's my choice. <laughs> Sorry if that sounds incredibly boring or sounds even yeah. true. <laughs> that's fine. Dan, what about you? Yeah, I, I think so. Part of it would, part of my reaction would be that I would just say, and yes to what Jen said. Um, this idea of being able to use systems innovation in a practical way has potential impact in you know so many different places climate change managing covid pandemics responding to humanitarian crises and you know so all of these are like potentially really exciting projects that you could be working on the bottom line though is no two people or three people or a hundred people are going to be able to do this. And so the idea of making it possible for other people to work on this kind of thing for me is really important if we're going to deal with these bigger problems. But since that is just basically saying what Jen said, I will give you a different answer. <laughs> And my answer would be, I want people who naturally do this to have a place 
in the world where they get to create complex, ambitious things. They have the techniques that they know that they can use, and they have the embrace from people and positions of power and influence to apply their craft. Essentially, I would really like to see a profession of choreographers recognized that allows a 13-year-old who's sitting around saying, you know, I really like dealing with messy problems. I want to be a choreographer. And if I think we could create the methodology and then create the people, it would be possible for many more hard problems in the world to, to be solved. So that would be mine. I want to invent a career, uh, a, I want to invent a path for choreographers. That's a great one. Next question. Where will you be in a year from now? And you can answer that personal or business-wise, whatever you want. I'll go first because I don't want you taking the answer again. <laughs> um, so I think it's been striking what's happened in the last year. On September 15th last year, I was in a meeting with the UN Foundation And it was as if somebody had thrown a switch. You know, up until then, talking about systems innovation was like shouting into the wind and nobody heard you. And then everybody in the room, all these corporations were talking about how they were going to apply systems innovations to their corporate social responsibility effort. And It was as if somebody had taken the systems innovation pill and there you were, everybody was talking about it. And since that time, there seems to have been this sea change in how systems innovation is seen, how it's, how it's approached and the extent to which it's seen as an essential thing. I feel like we're at the very beginning of that hockey stick up. And so the next year is about riding that sudden explosion of possibility and opportunity for something, at least in my case, that I've been doing for years and years and years and years and years without even having a name for it. Jennifer. Well, good answer, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> As lucky we're partners. Um, yeah, look, I see... So there's multiple things that we are doing now to make that happen, i.e. writing the book of the methodology and, and how to move that forward, um, creating those kind of um, support and courses for choreographers to kind of learn the methodology and, and move that forward. And so I think in a year um, not only will we have done this with a number of companies and organizations over again um, but that 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 methodology will be very well on its path out um, into the world um, through consultancies or, or otherwise how do you keep yourself informed on topics that interest you oh you know so that's the cool thing about systems innovation is it's a it's a generalist domain 
And so, like, stuff flows to you all the time. Um, you know, if you think about the average person, you know, they have their area of specialty and then they want to read broadly to, you know, just keep themselves aware. Gosh, systems innovation is like you're, you're drinking from a rainbow-colored fire hose. It's really, <laughs> it's really amazing. So it's like con consuming wh whatever comes up. Yeah, I mean, it... It almost doesn't matter because yeah. huh. it all somehow fits together in one system or another. <laughs> That's a great one. Twitter is great for the rainbow fire hose. The, the world is set up now to bring the rainbow fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> great one. Je Jennifer, any, anything from you to add to that? How you, you know, I would say in some ways it's like part Just follow what interests you. And I don't know how many people have said this before, but if you're if you if you're reading stuff that you're not interested in, you're so much less likely to act and and absorb and and use. So you know, what is it that that interests you? And then it's like, and what do you need to know? So um, whether it's you know Elon Musk biography, I'm a secret Elon Musk fan. If you haven't noticed. Um, or, or, um, or you know, the latest um, climate change articles on Medium or, or what have you. So I think, I think it's just about absorbing what interests you, and then specifically, like, what's the what's the backbone of of the stuff you need to know? Tech, the future, specific industry stuff, innovation yeah. methodology. Great. We covered a lot today. Um, thank you very much for spending your early morning and late evening. No, late evening is me. It's like yeah. lunchtime, right? Just after um, lunch, yeah. yeah. So we've got multiple time zones covered. Exactly. Um, was was a pleasure having you on the show and, and, and really looking forward to engage further with you and learning from how systems system, system innovation will, will change the world and as well the, the corporate Where, where I'm uh, about to support you, I hope. <laughs> so thank, <laughs> thanks, great. thanks a lot. Was was great talking to you and having you on the show. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. Good to be here. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You will find the links and resources in the show notes of this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, the most impactful thing you can do is subscribing to the show on any of the podcasting platforms and give me a review. This will help me to reach more innovators around the world and bring some of you into the show. If you have any question to the guest or want to engage with me, feel free to reach out to me on my public WhatsApp at plus four nine one five one seven zero three three one one seven six. I will repeat, plus four nine one five one seven zero three three one one seven six. It's all WhatsApp texting only. Or follow me on social media and contact me there. And finally, if you look for someone educating you or your team on innovation culture coaching, have a look at heitlandinnovation.com. Thanks and see you in the next episode. <laughs>